These are the daily lectionary comments for July the 19th. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, the judgment of the house of Eli, and Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 22. So we're going back to Acts, and we're going to look at the aftermath of the Apostolic Council and uh, the beginning, the very beginning of the second missionary journey. Right, 1 Samuel chapter 2, we're going to begin at verse 18. The book of Judges says next to nothing about the tabernacle, the priesthood. Um, the last five chapters of the book of Judges is a very dreary um, uh, series of chapters that feature uh, a couple of Levites. And you just get the sense, you get the very strong sense in reading all that, that uh, the people had become spiritually bankrupt from top to bottom. And so now we've gotten into Samuel, First uh, Samuel, and we, we, we're getting a little bit better picture of what things were looking like, even at the tabernacle at Shiloh. So we have Eli and his sons, and these two are just awful in terms of what they do, and, and they, are, they are truly just utilizing and using their, uh, their positions for themselves, which, of course, is, is bad for any position of responsibility, but it is especially horrifying when your position is to be a priest for the Lord. Their sins are directly against the Lord. They don't care. They don't believe any of this. Um, the problem is that Eli, their father, the high priest, he knew, or at least to use legal par parlance, he knew or should have known uh, that his son's were were utterly terrible priests. And he had an obligation, both as their father, but also as the high priest to clean this up. And he did not do that. So this man of God who is not named comes to Eli and essentially pronounces judgment uh, that Eli's house, normally the high priesthood would pass from father to son to grandson and so on. And, uh, and so the house of Eli presumably would have continued had they been faithful and their descendants would continue to be the high priests, but it is not to be. In fact, uh, they will not continue as high priests. They, they won't even, the, the priests themselves, they will be cut off from the priesthood, uh, Eli's descendants. It's very sad because you don't get the impression that Eli is personally a corrupt individual, but it, it's hard to, it's hard not to admit that a man in his position who does nothing knowing what he knew uh, is certainly uh, subject to the judgment of God, and, and we see it here. Now, in contrast to that, we have this refrain of uh, Samuel, that Samuel is growing in, in, in strength and in stature before the Lord and before men. We see uh, that refrain repeated uh, a couple of times in verse 21 and in verse 26. And so we are to understand that, although the general situation was pretty poor, um, Samuel is clearly an exception to all of this. He is not going to be uh, cut from the same mold as the general warp and woof of the priesthood at that time, um, but, but is truly holy to the Lord, and it's going to be something quite different. So uh, the text continues to help us to look forward to that time 
uh, when, uh, when Samuel begins to do uh, great things. Uh, he is not going to disappoint, by the way. Uh, Samson uh, started out with great fanfare, but really disappointed. Um, Samuel is starting out with great fanfare, but he will not disappoint. Now, uh, verse uh, 35 is a beautiful verse. Having pronounced uh, the judgment on the house of Eli, the Lord says, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to all that is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Um, of course, we can't help but to see this as, as a reference finally to Jesus, who is you know, the ultimate priest. Before Jesus comes, God will, in fact, raise up a, a, a household of priests, the Zadokite line, Zadok the priest, who will serve under Solomon, and, uh, and he will be a much more uh, righteous individual. But we see that in these actual people that are serving as judges and kings and prophets and so forth, we see foreshadowings of what God really has in mind, and what God ha really has in mind is what this is all about. Sooner or later in God's kingdom, we will have the perfect king, we will have the perfect priest, and we will have the perfect pro uh, uh, prophet. Of course, that will be Christ himself. All right, in Acts chapter 15, we're going to get, begin at verse 22. We're returning from Galatians. So I want you to imagine that sometime just before the apostolic council, uh, that that uh, Paul would have sent this letter to the Galatian churches. So that's going on in the background. Meanwhile, the apostles meet in Jerusalem to hash out this Judaizing controversy. And after that was finished, then we actually looked at Paul's letter to the Galatians. Having looked at that, now we're going back and we're back in Acts and we're going to take up where the narrative left off there. And this is what the Apostolic Council did. Having uh, come to a decision that they were not going to burden Gentiles with the law of Moses, but giving them certain things that that the Gentiles were going to have to pay particular attention to, uh, that perhaps uh, uh, Jewish uh, Christians would not have to. Uh, now then, they craft a letter, and so this is interesting how we see the early church worked and with great care. The apostles drafted a letter that summarized what they had uh, concluded. They uh, note that the letter itself uh, refers to the Holy Spirit and their belief that the Holy Spirit was guiding the apostles uh, in, this, uh, in, this, um, uh, in their conclusions and deliberations and response. The letter is sent with emissaries from the church in Jerusalem, and they go up to the church in Antioch, where all of this controversy had really uh, began to bubble up first. So they went with uh, Barnabas and Paul. They go back to Antioch, and there, uh, there there's a report. Uh, the letter is delivered, but there are emissaries together with the letter, not just one, but several. And the reason for this is because, you know, number one is you want to vouch for the authenticity of this letter. So you have a number of individuals who will be able to say, yes, this is our connection to Peter and James, the church in Jerusalem and all of that. Yes, this is the letter that they drafted following this. Um, so it's not just all hanging on Barnabas and Paul. 
they can vouch for the authenticity of this letter. They can answer questions or augment the discussion a little bit about how the discussion went um, and, and essentially make sure everybody in the congregation at Antioch has a good, solid feeling that the Judaizing controversy has been dealt with and can go forward with confidence. Remember, this is the congregation that initiated the first missionary journey and, and that is really kind of the, the, the mother church of the Gentile mission field. So this is very important to them. And the text tells us that the, the, the congregation there in Antioch rejoiced when they got this news. They realized that the controversy in the beginning, really to cause problems in the church, had been settled. And so uh, we can assume that the same letter would have been sent uh, to um, uh, to the Galatian churches. It's also possible, and what we'll see in just a minute, that it went uh, that letter was uh, brought by uh, par- uh, Barnab- uh, by um, by Paul also. Okay, so so that's that concludes the Judaizing controversy, and a whole lot of stuff leading up to Acts chapter fifteen concludes at that point. And now it says, after a few days, Paul and Barnabas decided that they they wanted to set out again and visit the congregations that they had established in the first missionary journey. Uh, And then it's very interesting that we have an argument, that um, Paul and Barnabas have a sharp argument over Mark. Remember, Mark had set out with them in the first missionary journey, uh, but then had, had left and in the text, it doesn't indicate anything wrong. Just it says in Pamphylia, uh, you know, Mark left and went back. But now we find out that evidently this was not welcomed by Paul. And we don't know what the issue was that caused Mark to leave other than he was very young. And maybe he was just too young to go on this trip. We don't know. But at any rate, as far as Paul was concerned, Mark had really let him down. And, and he did not want to set out on a missionary journey again with Mark. He failed once. He just didn't trust him to do it right again. Barnabas felt very strongly the other way. And so this was such a sharp disagreement that the two decided to separate. Barnabas took Mark and he went on his, uh, in his direction. Paul selects Silas and he sets out uh, in, his, uh, in, in another direction. So we have the beginning of the second missionary journey. Actually, you might note that this is actually two missionary journeys at once. Barnabas and, and Mark's uh, journey, Paul and Silas's journey, but we're only going to follow Paul and, and, uh, and Silas, and we will begin that tomorrow.